Hello everyone and welcome to the new episode of UX Banter podcast. This podcast is presented by Galaxy UX Studio and powered by Galaxy Weblinks. Hello. A guest for today's episode believes that with collaboration and vision extraordinary things can be accomplished. He is a creative designer, technical developer and a mentor for the creative community. A man who is in a brand in himself. Please welcome the senior designer for TEK Systems at Meta, Mr. Tim Rosenberg. Hi everyone. Uh it's really great to be here. I'm super excited. Um a little bit about myself. I live in Arlington, Virginia, right outside of DC with my fiance and my two pups. And um I work on a lot of the design systems um on the Facebook app and I'm really excited to chat with you today. Great. So first thing when you say design systems meta and facebook it feels like uh, we are talking to somebody who is you know people when we become designers that is the path that we all want to take to go up to a fang company how is the view from the top i mean how does it look like the rest of the world and the millions yeah so um in my career i've i've started my career with working for very small companies maybe like maybe 5 9 people or so and slowly gotten to bigger companies and what i found is that One thing I've learned a lot is about scale. So, when I was working on doing UX design for maybe like a small startup, um when it came to things like okay, let's think about accessibility. What about uh different cultures? Are we being inclusive? Are we, you know, representing diversity? Are we like thinking about, you know, users who read from right to left in like Arabic and Hebrew? And you know, in those in those small uh, stages in the early stages, um oftentimes those complexities of UX design like you know it might be called an edge case to say oh well you know we're not going to really think about that market for now like let's let's not think about it one of the biggest things that i've learned about working on a product like the facebook app is that you really there are no more edge cases you know like you can't just think <laughs> like oh well we're going to ignore this because you know it's such a you know small percentage that percentage even if it's small it could be like a millions of people at sure. scale. So yeah, I I've learned a lot about like um, you know, being much more intentional and in prioritizing like accessibility in design, diversity, um and inclusion and some of the small things that you think about um the way that you represent it um could have like tremendous impact. You know, you think of something trivial as like a friend. Uh the word friend like well, what does the word friend mean in different languages? How do people understand those relationships? Like because some some cultures might think like oh i use facebook for acquaintances and so how do you navigate through those nuances across like across different cultures different languages as well as different technology accessibility and affordability so some people can't afford the latest iphone you know so they have to experience your product maybe on a very slow internet connection so how do you design for those people as well so i think if anything i've learned is just like you know the the scale of impact and um inclusion um once you're kind of addressing a, a global population it's it's really exciting stuff it is definitely so when you we are talking about the product in general when you're coming to build it so in terms of when you look at the future i mean google has this the next billion users uh, philosophy and facebook is now in a space where you know bunch of new exciting products have already out there and new features are coming out so what sort of role from the ux side that you have to play to just keep the load on on the lower side you know the cognitive load i mean use all the applications together there is 
Facebook has stories, Instagram has reels, you have what's with the stories and all that. So from the UX product designer point of view, how are the things kept so that they are seamless, the learning curve is low and everything is just put together? Oh yeah, yeah, that's an excellent question. I think one of the most important things and the hardest things is prioritization in UX design. And so that's what cognitive load really comes down to because like, let's take an onboarding experience. Um, I just got an Oculus um, uh, over the weekend um, and it was amazing. It was, a, it was an amazing experience, but for me, it's a whole new modality that I've never been used to. And uh, what I really appreciate about the onboarding experience is that it only required the least amount necessary um, to just get the, the most value out of my first time experience. And then later it says like, oh, hey, do you wanna set this other thing up? Like there's this feature where I can set up a workstation. I could put on my Oculus and have like a virtual keyboard and like have like my like monitors over there. Mm -hmm. like, this is amazing, but I don't wanna do all of this all at once. So the prioritization is like, okay, let's just jump into the apps. Let's jump into the, like the lobby and kind of orient you to the, the, the basics and um, kind of add little extra um, additional onboarding um, as needed without forcing it to the user. So what's hard is that I think startup founders and tech companies alike, they have a hard time with prioritization. Because if you ask them like, all right, to reduce cognitive load, what's the most important thing? Sometimes these executives, they just say, oh, well, everything's important. <laughs> so if everything's important, then really nothing's important. So I think you really got to look at like business goals and maybe business metrics. We can say, okay, this one section is 80% of our revenue. Let's focus on this. And then like this other stuff might be adding additional cognitive load. Let's defer that for later. Cool. So Tim, overall, you just mentioned Oculus and the entire VR uh, landscape that we're looking at and being part of Meta, I think that is a lot of focus uh, that we are actually putting on over to the VR tech. So from the UX point of view, do you think that that is the future like this is the direction that the industry is heading? Oh, um, absolutely. I think the pandemic showed us that like we uh, human nature craves um, like proximity and engagement with other people. Um, but the, but the pandemic has also shown us that like, we can't always be um, in person all the time, or we can't travel and meet um, everyone all at once. So we're in a ever increasingly connected world where we're being hyper connected. Um, but uh, we also, you know, need the ability to, um, to have those like those that, that like somewhat in-person experience. And so I'm definitely excited about the future of uh, VR and the metaverse. I, I think that it's the, the next frontier of, um, of UX design. And the biggest challenge is that UX designers really have to take all the skill sets that they've learned in like two dimensions. Now they have to apply into four dimensions. They have to think about what about depth? What about space? And what about like duration? And how do you navigate through um, a 3D environment and, and add the factor of time? So um, I'm definitely excited about VR. I think it's, it's going to be the future of how we interact and experience. But I also think that like, it's going to be a bridge to help facilitate real life in-person engagement as well. Because we have a beautiful planet and I don't want us to forget about it because we're in a, um, a fantasy world. 
and we have real people and it's important. There's something special about being in person that VR can never replace, um, but it could at least, you know, fill in the gaps when, you know, it might not be feasible. I think that VR, um, I was, I was in, uh, let's see, I think it's um, Horizon Venues mm -hmm. and I was just in there meeting with other like uh other people in the metaverse it was so exciting and it was also like very um surreal i was like okay what do i do here like what's the, what's it like and i was like chatting with people and they're like hey yeah it's my first time in the metaverse like, <laughs> it's so new that like i think there's a lot of opportunities for ux um and so yeah i'm really excited to see um how ux designers can take their skill set and bring it to the fourth dimension do you think it is a transferable skill? Do you think the current UX skill set can uh, be incorporated uh, to, you know, build and design everything for Meta? Uh, I think from I think for UX designers, um, it's a transferable skill to enter the VR space. The biggest limitation I would say is getting familiar with three um, D tools. That's like I would say that that next level, and so. Sometimes that might be partnering with like a Unity developer who can build out 3D environments, mm -hmm. um, or sometimes it might be learning that skill set yourself. Um, I think I tend to be more on the partnership side, so um, I, um, I I found that like it's maybe best to, to partner with someone who specializes in Unity, for example, who can build amazing landscapes and worlds and build up the develop all the logic. Mm -hmm. I might develop maybe like the interface and the UX experience. Um, so I think. I think um, I think it is transferable. You can kind of go two paths of like learning 3D uh, yourself, or you could also um, maybe partner with someone who's like a, a real specialist, depending on uh, where you kind of see your career. Cool. But I believe the core skills like information architecture, for example, or interaction design in that space, it is you know perfectly uh, transferable. We can just utilize them directly as it is. Uh, the only challenge would come in in the translation of it when the core tool uh, are required but if you think about the sketching and the drawing and until the wireframes part do come mm -hmm. in i mean we can actually transfer it till then cool back to another question i'm a little bit biased towards augmented reality or virtual reality what is your take on that um i think the difference will be similar to like desktop applications and mobile applications <laughs> you know because like we still have laptops, like mobile phones right. didn't get rid of the laptop. Uh -huh. And so I think virtual reality would be is meant for immersive, immersive, highly engaging experience where you are in a different space and mm -hmm. um, kind of doing deep work, similar to like being on a desktop application. I think uh, augmented reality, it's, it's really uh, useful for information layering. So maybe for inner your new city, you can put on maybe some augmented reality glasses, look at um, different restaurants with it, identify maybe some friends nearby. Um, it can add a layer to your world. So I think uh, AR will be more like real world annotation. And then VR will be like, uh, almost like a separate world immersion. I mean, think about this, I've put on AR headsets and I'm walking and then I meet you and it says five mutual friends. So yeah, yeah, I exactly. Can, that can I can just go yeah. in and say, hello, uh, probably we know these guys. So uh, would you want to grab a drink or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also you could also put it on and say like, oh, um, 
someone else has been here previously or someone else is like in the area. Sure. Um, you could also think about another very interesting scenario that I've been thinking about is like, like almost helping us become superhuman. So if you think of a surgeon, um, imagine a surgeon doing like very intense surgery, they can get like vital analytics, they could get like 3D renderings, they could like yeah. kind of visualize the different organs. Um, or maybe like an engineer, someone who's like a mechanical engineer, they could kind of look at a car engine and kind of visualize, you know, what, where the different parts are, um, identify the different parts. So it, we're almost going to become real world uh, Iron Man <laughs> um, kind of uh, kind of an experience. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what so how far um, what do you think that has. what is what is the timeline looks like for this? I mean, we, we oh, all talk, yeah, we were talking <laughs> about electric cars since my childhood. And now it has become a reality. It took about 25 years to actually see an electric car on the road. And uh, now we are talking about VR and AR with all the excitement that now we talk about AR and VR. How long do you think that it will take for it to become a household reality? Oh, that's an excellent question. So I would say that right now we're kind of in the stage that like social media might have been when we still had like flip phones. Mm -hmm. And because like during that time, it was very difficult to get like high-speed data and internet on your phone. Um, I remember when I was like a kid, uh, one of my classmates had, you know, was panicking because he's like, oh, I use the internet on my phone and my parents are going to get so mad at me because <laughs> of the internet bill. It's going to uh -huh. cost so much just to get the internet because like it was on a flip phone. Um, so that's kind of like where we're at, you know, like there's, it's very, it was very latent. It was very slow, the amount of data that you can get. So the biggest hurdle is going to be the data infrastructure. Uh, because in order to be at that stage, we need like high computational power in like in these tiny compact devices. Like someday VR headsets will be um, almost as light as like glasses mm -hmm. to where instead of being big and heavy, it could just be as light and, um, and be, you know, something that's um, very dense and packed with high com computational power. But because it's 3D, there's so much data that it's processing, it's hard to like get that form factor. So the other challenge is going to be, um, it's going to be like data speeds. So um, I would say, in my opinion, when it comes to like, um, in terms of how long it'll take to get here, like we're there today in terms of maybe more early adopters. So uh, those that are early adopters, maybe uh, tech enthusiasts are very already in the space building the future. I would give it probably, I think in maybe 10 years, um, I would say all the big players are going to come out with their respective devices. So Apple's probably going to come out with uh, mixed reality headsets um, mm -hmm. and all the other like big tech companies. Um, someday, like I think having a mixed reality um, headwear is going to be just as common as having a smartphone. I, but I would give it like probably 10 to 15 years. 10 to 15. I mean, I, I believe that we are going to be in the vicinity. Of course, 5G is going to help big time with real-time yeah. computations. But wearables to be... I mean, we just saw that Dyson air purifier that they have launched. It looks oh, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it, it does the job. But it looks quite random that you have the headphone and then you have the air purifier. Yeah. And everybody is on, you know, going, blasting about it that, yes, it's a product, it works, but would you ever want to be seen wearing one? That is yeah, the challenge yeah, that yeah. 
yeah, the public yeah. acceptance part again becomes a big deal when it comes to anything which is as revolutionary as that okay so with fun parts this is the time okay. for a rapid fire at ux banter are you ready yeah okay so if you were a superhero what would your power be oh flight all the way easy right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've i have uh i have uh amazing dreams where i imagine that i'm flying uh-huh. and i think that's like the one superpower i would want the more practical one very similar would probably be teleportation it would make travel a lot less expensive a <laughs> <laughs> flying is always yeah. going to sort that out but the time it will take you know there's still right, like yeah, four hours to the destination <laughs> <laughs> Plus, if if I wanted to travel to see you, I'd have to wear a coat and fly because yeah. it'd be pretty cold. Yeah. So I think flight would be for fun, and then teleportation would be uh, for practicality. <laughs> yep. And no visas required to go anywhere. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, a lot <laughs> easier for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Window or aisle seats? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, definitely the aisle seats, so that I can like quickly get up if I want to without bothering a stranger. I think if I get the window seat, there is always some space that where I can actually lean on. Oh yeah, that is. You can actually, yeah, you can sleep better uh, on the window seat, but I just I never sleep well on on planes. <laughs> yeah. Your favorite TV show of all time? Ooh, uh, I think recently it's been uh, WandaVision. This is an amazing series. Uh, another one. Yeah, I'm kind of torn between WandaVision and Silicon Valley. Yeah! So yeah, I think WandaVision was was a really great drama, theatrical experience and then yeah. Silicon Valley for me is probably the most relatable show. Mm-hmm. Um it really it makes fun of like startup culture and what I really loved about that show is that every caricature that they made fun of, I actually knew someone in real life that um <laughs> that was just like that person, you know. <laughs> We had Felix on the show from ADP list and Felix when I asked him this question he was like there is without an a shred of doubt he just said Pokemon and that was it. <laughs> That's okay. a good show too. I haven't watched that in a while. <laughs> okay. Your favorite holiday destination? That's a great question. Well, I'm, um, I just booked my, um, I, I just booked a trip to um, Hawaii. So ah, nice one. I think that'll be my answer. Um, I'm, I'm getting married this September. So uh, that's, well, congratulations. Uh, that's we're having a honeymoon. So, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Cool. Um, okay. Books or movies? Uh, great question. I would say definitely movies, movies or audio books. Uh, I think for me, the hard thing about books is that you really have to like have like dedicated time to like not uh-huh. do anything else. Um, so I'd say movies for sure, but I, I do appreciate the knowledge that comes from books. It's hard for me to like stop, do nothing else and like absorb the information. <laughs> so I'm not even, I'm, I'm more of like an audio book person. Okay. So if I say um, a movie, which movie do you think that you would like to recommend to for everybody should watch? Oh man, Spider-Man No Way Home. I just saw that in theaters. <laughs> uh, a little while ago, it was amazing. Especially, I mean, for me like I I keep up with the Marvel series uh-huh. and 
if you've seen all the other movies, it's mm-hmm. very rewarding to see everything kind of come together. Come together. That was a very crazy concept to begin with. I mean, people were talking about that they are going to yeah. do this. <laughs> and I it, it was really hard to wrap your head around that how the whole thing is going to happen. And suddenly it does. And it actually is basically gives the redemption arc to uh, Andrew Garfield and uh, Toby Maguire. Yes, Toby Maguire, uh, the favorite Spider-Man yeah, yeah, yeah. ever. <laughs> well, it also was a redemption arc to the villains, you know, like Otto Octavius. Yeah. Like what I really what I really appreciate about the film and this, this is a spoiler alert for this who haven't seen it yet, so skip <laughs> ahead if you haven't watched it. Um, most superhero movies have followed the same formula uh-huh. um, over and over and over to where it's like, oh no, like um, you know, the protagonist comes across a, a superpower and has a love interest and the love interest gets kidnapped. And then, you know, um, this, the protagonist must like fight the bad guy, but the bad guy turns out to be someone that they know. So it, it, it's kind of, I, I get tired of it. So what I appreciate about this film was that it took that formula and flipped it. So it's like, oh, well, what if like, what if the villains are troubled people? You know, mm-hmm. Octavius had a, a chip malfunction. And, um, and you know, it kind of looked at it from a different perspective that was refreshing uh, and kind of a different spin than most superhero movies. So that's that's what I really appreciated. Uh, on the story front, I mean, have you uh, looked at the new uh, series called Moon Knight? Oh, I haven't watched that yet. No, I haven't. Yeah, I think I think there were three episodes out. And at the end of the third episode, I was like, some idea that what is going on. Otherwise, it's just crazy, crazy world which is out there. You should try it because they don't tell you where the hero is coming from, where it's going, and just things are happening at random. Yeah, yeah. And now there is some, you know, base that is happening. I think that is an amazing show. You should try that. <laughs> and, and, and no uh, advertisement involved. <laughs> <laughs> okay, your favorite phone app, Facebook. Oh, uh, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, um, I say I spend a lot of time. Let's see, actually, where I spend a lot of my time. I spend a lot of time on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, I think one of my my favorite productivity uh, is also Asana, um, although it's more of a workplace um like task management tool i use it to like run my entire life of like okay this is my task for like you know what i want to do for date night when my uh car oil needs to be changed when i need to do laundry so um i really love uh the asana app um as well another one that i've been for personal finance there's one called copilot um that has an amazing ui uh to sing all my finances in one place um but uh, yeah, so I'd say like uh, Facebook and Instagram are really great for keeping touch with my friends. Asana is really amazing for like keeping my life in order. I don't think I could like, um, I don't think I'd be on top of my to-do list or get anything done without Asana. And then I really love uh, the UI for, for co-pilot finance. Okay. So with Copilot, Asana, and the other uh, apps that we have gathered in this show are Notes app, uh, TikTok for some reason. <laughs> and, oh, okay. and Uber, uh, just for the simplicity of it. Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. All right. I, so, I never got on TikTok. I don't know, man. It's just, uh, I, I don't think I ever got interested in TikTok. It just wasn't for me. <laughs> no, the, the app was named by uh, Mr. Neil Food, who is uh, the CMO for Within Inc. 
and his idea was that the algorithm i mean based on what you are actually want to watch uh, it show it keeps showing you the similar videos and that yeah, algorithm yeah, actually yeah. because if you're looking at my tiktok and your tiktok it will be completely different experience yeah, different. Um, yeah, yeah. If you, yeah, yeah yeah if you are searching and if you're watching on a specific topic you will get more information on that one um it's just that you know having that infamous uh, line attached to it <laughs> uh that's why people are not uh, you know it it has a reputation of sorts but that was yeah, uh, yeah, what yeah, we yeah. actually gathered okay so the last one what would you do if you were president for a day president of the united states oh man that's a that's a great question i would uh i would introduce universal basic income i think that we are, are in a unique stage in history where we've got the technology we've got the manufacturing to to produce so many goods at scale. Um it used to be that you had to work 40 hours a week or even like 100 hours a week to produce um enough like um enough food at the farm. And you had to work, you had to do a lot of work and you got maybe a little bit of food that you could produce. But now in the age of like mass manufacturing, automation, AI, um you know all these like um amazing technology that we have, now we're able to do, you know, we've got industrial farms. where you could do like a little bit of work and produce like you know um hundreds and hundreds times more than you had to do previously in the same amount of hours so we have uh, so we have so much um we have so many uh goods but yet there's so much uh i i feel like there's not enough there's a lot of income disparity mm-hmm. and we yeah. need, in order to balance out it's i think that it's actually good for the economics to have some sort of base income because if you have so many goods that you're producing mm-hmm. but the people can't afford it then those things go to waste and then you know uh, um the businesses can't sustain themselves so i think having we're we're at a unique stage in 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 society where um we're out producing uh more than we can consume so i think a, a universal base income will kind of balance it so that we uh we no longer actually have to work as long as we used to um as a society because of this technology so that's uh that's what i would do <laughs> <laughs> you've already been giving a lot of thought uh, lately yeah i thought about it for a while yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay great answers great answers okay so that brings us to the closure of the uh, rapid fire um but coming back to the ux and the career and the product designing part of it so tim can you what is your mantra of building a product that people want and uh, want to know that how to use those products how what what do you, how what is your metrics of designing products that bring delight to the users yeah that's a really great question i think a lot of times a lot of startup founders um they get obsessed with building a company or building a product and they want to like make revenue but but they lack purpose um so oftentimes like some startups will say okay i want to build something now i need to find a problem you know but i think the other way around is the way that really delights and um inspires users when someone isn't really looking um uh, someone doesn't say hey hey i have a solution i have a technology let me apply it somewhere i think um to really build products that consumers fall in love with it's the other way around falling in love with the problem because problems that are like big um when you fall in love with the problem and build empathy with the users 
um, I think you, you'll find a lot of more product success because you're not building features for the sake of like, um, for the sake of like being flashy or, you know, getting uh, more advertisement ROI, you're building um, features for empathy. So I think empathy is, is key for, for building products that people love. Um, Cause when you understand like the deeper levels in which uh, consumers fall in love with your product, they're not really, people don't like buy the product for the, for the features. They, they buy it for the benefits and the emotional and practical problems that it solves. Sure. So I think falling in love with the problems and being deeply embedded in it, being an end user yourself, a lot of tech companies have never even been a consumer of what they build. And so it's hard mm. to develop empathy when you don't know uh, <laughs> you're designing what for. you're solving. I think I think I may be wrong. I mean, I may be way off the mark, but this is the feeling that I get whenever I think about blockchain. Blockchain is an amazing solution, but I don't think that we have yet ran into the problem that it, it could solve. Oh, yeah. yeah, this is a great one. Yeah, for sure. Because like right now, what I see is there's people using blockchain to buy million dollar jpegs of like um (laughs) you know nfts and like for me i mean i i personally would not (laughs) use uh i i personally wouldn't be interested in that but there is yeah you're absolutely right there is a lot of probably more valuable use cases i'm trying to think of like i would say i guess when it comes to maybe like identity verification in, in that space that is yet to be used so for example imagine if you you could use blockchain uh, or nfts for maybe like your license because if we can say okay this license is an authentic serialized um, entity we you can't just like duplicate and use a false identity um, things like that i think are some opportunities um, for practicality but yeah i think you're definitely right uh there's definitely a lot more than just I don't know buying <laughs> buying a JPEG NFT. A painted monkey. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that there's someone listening here who who just drops a lot of money on a on a JPEG, but I <laughs> I just I I don't think I would personally do it. I think if it was maybe a more practical price point, I would I I might spend it if it was like. If there's a, a usefulness, like I might buy like an avatar mm-hmm. uh, for the metaverse, but like, I think my price point wouldn't be in the millions. <laughs> <laughs> True. I think that would be a great use case um, that, you know, but that again is going to be adopted at the government uh, and agencies level uh, where the governments can have digitized passports and the visa associated yeah, exactly. or implemented yeah. so you have yeah. all the digital information stored so i can travel the world without the worrying about carrying my passport and mm-hmm. the machines would identify and just let me through i think that is the way that you can have the individual identity international passport person can have and travel without the worrying of you know all the waiting and you know visas and all that i think that is one of the biggest problems that it can actually solve wow yeah another one that i just thought of was like uh, like Carfax. So mm-hmm. Carfax privatized a way to kind of keep track of the history of a car. Mm-hmm. But imagine if it was opened uh, to like an open source, like blockchain and accessible to anyone uh, who had like access to like your private key. When you purchase a car, you could look at the blockchain. So 
And if someone says, oh, hey, there's been no accidents, if everything was like connected to this VIN number, you could say, okay, well, um, based on the blockchain, it wasn't this accident. Uh, this, this claim was filed. This is how many times the oil was changed. So imagine if like the history- Entire of, service history, yeah. And even yeah, the photographs yeah. that how the damage is, how severe yeah. the damage is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, because it, it could create a lot of accountability, especially yeah. in the used car um, market, because people are very hesitant to buy a used car on like Facebook Marketplace or, uh -huh. um, or like Craigslist, because you're like, I don't know if I could trust this person if they say the car is worth this much. But using blockchain technology, if you find a car on Craigslist, you'd be like, oh, let me like look at the blockchain. Okay, this is the mileage that the blockchain has. This is how many how much service it has. And I think there's a lot of opportunity uh, for there as well. So any startup founders listening to this, go go build it. <laughs> <laughs> no copyright intended on the idea. Yeah, I'll get I'll get, uh, I'll get maybe a 10% equity stake. <laughs> I mean, these brainstorming sessions, they always come out at the end. Like, yeah, something can be done locally. So the solution is always there. There is blockchain. Now let's figure yeah. out where to implement it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And I, I, I'm learning about it myself. I think there's a lot uh, that I, I don't know that I don't know about it. I think the possibilities are, are pretty big and exciting. Cool. So you do a lot of mentoring as well. I mean, uh, we have seen you on ADPLS. We have seen you, you know, take uh, bookings and people can come and talk to you over the platform. And um, there are many people who come and ask you so many, in you know, a variety of questions. Uh, so what, what is the common advice that you give to all of them? And what are the things that you wish that somebody would have told you um, at the, you know, a few years ago when you were starting out? Yeah, definitely. So I have kind of, um, I would say, I think I have um, three buckets of advice. So one is on, the first bucket is on craft. The second bucket is on building a portfolio. And then the third is like uh, identifying opportunities. So in the first bucket, bucket of, uh, you know, learning the craft, one of the most common advice that I give my mentees is that when you first start out, it can be like exciting to uh, reinvent the wheel and come up with your own UX patterns and say, you know, I want to reimagine the button, you know, for, for, for decades, we've had the button. I'm going to create my own way of using the button. That's going to revolutionize the world. But um, what they might not think about is, okay, uh, is this new idea, this new idea that you might think of maybe doesn't, take into consideration um, accessibility. How would someone who's maybe visual impaired use this new thing that like that hasn't been done before? So I would say when, when learning the craft, um, you can save a lot of time by learning from the masters. Um, there's an audiobook that I'm listening to called The Laws of UX, mm -hmm. where they identify principles and concepts um, I could drop a link to uh, what I've been listening to. But yeah, so this book, The Laws of UX, it kind of talks about fundamental principles about UX that are tried and true. And by following these conventions that the big tech companies have established, so think about like signup flows, um, selection patterns, deleting patterns, uh, drag and drop patterns. I would say someone who's just starting out um, don't reinvent the wheel, copy the masters and understand the principles. 
and um, focus on understanding, okay, why does this work? What's the principle behind that? And then down the road in your career, once you understand the principles, then you could revolutionize. So an example of a revolutionary like um, UX design that I think of was like the Tinder swipe. Like oh. that idea of like swiping on an app was like totally new. <laughs> before that, I mean, there might've been some before, but Tinder made it really popular. The way that, that we interacted was like button click, button yeah. tap. So we're in this very like old school mentality based on like old fashioned machinery, like typewriters and, and old fashioned machinery. But then Tinder was like, okay, let's revolutionize this and think of a new way of interacting with this swipe gesture. But it was based on a principle of, um, of feedback um, and heuristics that like the, the human mind can conceptualize and understand. Right. So I think it's important to like copy the, copy the established conventions, understand why it works. And then down the road, then you could revolutionize. Um, so that's, that's bucket one on craft. Um, the second advice is on uh, building your portfolio. And one of the most, one things that I see a lot is uh, a mentee goes through a boot camp, they have their case study, they, uh, they copied what the instructor said, and they, uh, or they have maybe like a, like an Airbnb redesign. Mm -hmm. And the challenge with this is that their case studies and portfolios tend to look very generic. And um, as someone who's reviewed a lot of um, applicants, it's it's very uh, it's very common to see the same types of projects over and over and over. True. Even the same <laughs> even the same like stock photo images on Unsplash. I'm like, oh, I know that Unsplash character. Um, <laughs> so, I would say when it comes to building your portfolio, treat your portfolio like a product, because when you build a product, you have to think, okay, who's the demographic? Um, what's the niche market that I want to um, cater my portfolio to. So instead of saying, I'm going to design anything, start by saying, okay, well, maybe I want to focus on the, um, the fitness industry, or I want to focus on the um, healthcare space, or maybe the manufacturing space, um, or maybe the social media space. Make all of your case studies kind of around that, uh, that industry, because your user, uh, your end user is a hiring manager. So the, the hiring manager you know, let's say that your hiring manager is someone who's in healthcare. If your um, if your case study is um, is totally unrelated, when they look at your portfolio, they're not going to be as interested in mm -hmm. hiring you because the hiring manager is thinking, okay, what can this candidate do for the problems that my product faces? Mm -hmm. So if you identify a, a market and say, okay, I want to be in this general space, um, when a hiring manager from that industry looks at it. So let's say that you want to focus on healthcare. If you've got like maybe a healthcare mobile app, a healthcare desktop app, and maybe like a healthcare voice Alexa skill that you designed, they're thinking, okay, this person knows the space. They understand my user needs. And I think that's one thing that UX designers ironically forget about, you know, like the hiring manager is the user and you have to like <laughs> do competitive research and user persona work on the hiring manager who's looking at your portfolio. Um, so that's, that's my advice in the, like the portfolio bucket. And so the third and final bucket is that a majority of my opportunities that I've, um, opportunities and jobs that I've received in life didn't actually come from applying, uh, cold online. Um, for me, 
most of the opportunities I've received was through relationships. And a lot of uh, job seekers can be discouraged if, you know, they're saying, oh, I've applied to hundreds of different places, but I'm not hearing back. One, um, one thing that I have found is oftentimes the job that you want isn't even posted yet. Um, and so uh, building relationships with people, so being part of communities like on, on LinkedIn or ADP list, when you build relationships with people, um, then when there is an opportunity, uh, oftentimes you'll learn about it before there's even a job post. They might say, oh yeah, hey, like, you know, we've been connected, like, I, I see your content, um, you're part of this community. Um, when you build when you build community and you're a part of the the tech eco, ecosystem and you're very involved in the um, in the space, um, I feel like you will be prone to a lot more um, opportunities coming to you and applying to you than having to uh, apply cold um, on online uh, job sites. So I think there's definitely an incredible opportunity for for um, new designers looking to jump into UX um, by being part of community. True. I mean, these, these, all these three points that you said, I 100% agree and in line with what you are trying to uh, convey here. I mean, uh, let's go back to the first one you said, don't reinvent the wheel. And I think it holds true on so many levels that if you are a designer, if you can just go through the Google design guidelines, the material design yeah, ones, yeah. to material, have the best yeah, application yeah. out there, if you can just read the human guidelines created by Apple, that will help you. And the similar fashion, if you like something on Dribble, why not try and recreate it? You will understand mm -hmm. the fonts and the sizing, the margins and the padding, the leaning and the kernings, the way something moves, rather than just you know thinking that, oh, something might look like this. Because most of the times, if you're working for a big organization, you just mentioned that Facebook has a larger design system, but you have those things already defined. It must be a huge system. Now, how can you as a new designer come on board and make sure that everything that you design is within those guidelines? And I think that is a far bigger challenge than creating something new and then taking it to the top. So I think that is one advice that, you know, we at Galaxy also make sure that the designers that we have, by the way, we have a team of about 100 designers uh, at Galaxy Studio. And uh, we do all sorts of from design systems to end-to-end -end UX delivery, everything uh, together here as well. So that is one of the things that I agree with 100%. Second is that I completely agree about that, having that portfolio, which is one-dimensional. In India, we get to see a lot of food delivery applications coming in. And the person yeah. is there in trying to you know, give the interview. And when I say, yeah, show me something and they are showing us that food delivery apps. I said, what happens when I order? I said, what do you mean? I said, where does it go? Who sees it? Is right. it, What's the does, it go, does it go to the restaurant? And what does the person who is making money gets out of it? And what does the delivery person is uh, looking at? So if the delivery person has no idea where to go, you just missed out like the entire application you were just showing me, which is already available like 20,000 times in different portfolios. So you're not thinking about the users. And that is, you know, raises a big flag for me that this is just one dimensional uh, portfolio, which I'm reviewing. And the person has yet to understand that what other stakeholders can be included uh, in the mix. So yeah, I think that is, uh, that's a great zone to be. And about the third one, I think it's essential for designers and even the community to just go in and talk and just understand what is 
uh, what is what. I mean, look at us. I mean, I see this as the privilege to be able to have a conversation with you. Your insights were wonderful. And uh, I believe that anybody who is going to listen to this conversation, I mean, we talked about blockchain, we talked about Facebook, VR and the mobile apps. We did a bit of a banter and then a lot of career advice that came out of it. So senior or junior, it doesn't matter whichever role that you are in. I think this was a fantastic time that everybody must have had. So with that, I would like to thank you, Tim, uh, for joining us. Any last words, any parting remarks? Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks so much for, for hosting me. Thank you for your time. And for those listening who are interested in more advice about design, feel free to follow me on LinkedIn and YouTube. Cool. So LinkedIn and YouTube links for Tim will be available at the start of this podcast. I mean, I can just put it uh, right there in the description and the links. So please get in touch with him. Also, I will put the ADP list URL if you don't mind for the booking. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. So yep. that you can actually connect directly, book a session with uh, Tim. And I think that would be, you know, one of the best sessions that you might going to have. All right. So thank you so much once again for joining us and uh, we wish you a wonderful uh, time ahead. Have a good one. Thanks so much. Bye. So guys, this was today's episode and next week we'll have another person, another design leader for a call or another podcast session. And until then, uh, have a great day. Bye.